G'day and welcome to Gbra, episode four, the best so far. That's what I'm guessing. Let's read this out to get started. Um, the good, the bad and the rugby Australia proudly brought to you by our good friends at Harvey Norman. Great friends. Wonderful friends. A respectable family favourite and successful enterprise business who must be so busy selling and boxing up rugs that they have all allowed us to hit the airwaves for a fourth time, guys. Wow. Big news. The rug game is real. And for that reason, we are back in the house. Round of applause, boys. <laughs> Round of applause. Uh, now, if you're watching this for the first time, three ex-wallabies, one current wannabe, um, having a few coldies and folding some. <laughs> <laughs> now, we've got two of the ex-wallabies on the couch. As you can see, we got the Swoop D-O-double-G, Swoop Dog, and the Bivouac. Yeah, Bivouac. Drew, big Drew Balls. Big Drew Balls. <laughs> um, and, but That's still your nickname. Yeah. That's, I want that to stick. I just, my balls live in the shadow of yours. <laughs> <laughs> they are hefty balls, my friend. Uh, now, joining us on the line from uh, wonderful Queanbeyan or Canberra, apologies. Are you in Queanbeyan or Cam Canberra, Gits? In Canberra. About to head to Queanbeyan for the parade. How mad Monday. <laughs> uh, he lives in Red, Red Hill where all the consulates are, all the big mansions and shit. Anyway, yep. That's <laughs> Solid start, boys. Solid um, Now, um, you, look, you, over the weekend, you all came out of retirement. It made big news for all three of you. Um, I think it was the lead story on most of the networks. Mm. How did it go down there? Well, it went well. We, uh, we shit it in. 61-7 over the, the Golden Valley uh, fruit salads. Um, injuries. Yeah, all three of us. So you, you fronted up for fourth grade for the Queenbeam. What's the Queenbeam side? Queenbeam Whites. Queenbeam Whites. Um, and you took on, sorry, the Golden Valley Fruit Cups. I, I don't know. I, I'm not actually sure. I, what are they? Fruit Golden. salads. Who are they? Though? Reds. Blacks, Blacks, I think. Nothing other Reds. Well, they had a red jersey on. <laughs> Gets, what do they call the Golden side? Yeah, I'm pretty sure they're the Blacks, but they did have a red shirt on, so it was quite confusing. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, so fourth grade down then, it was for a great cause. Yeah. Giddy, do you want to take the lead on this one? I would love to. Yeah, it's for um, my sister's charity. Uh, my niece, her daughter, got diagnosed uh, with a rare form of cancer. Oh, it could have been five years, four or five years ago now. Um, and during that process, she obviously wanted, Kaylee was her name, she wanted her to uh, get back to full health, but also have something to show for a journey. So she started a charity called Win the Day. That was almost their mantra when she was in hospital was just to win each day with Kaylee, and then hopefully at the end they've won the won the battle. Uh, thankfully now she is in remission, but off the back of um, my sister's hard work, she started a charity called Win the Day, and that's what we played for. It's basically a charity that supports uh, kids with rare forms of cancer that don't fall under that that big umbrella where there is a lot of funding, and it also supports the families uh, by giving them meals and taking away those little side stresses that they have to worry about um you know when dealing with a sick kid so it's just helping the families and the children's in need yeah the the logo that giddy's got there on his chest and and just you here your shirt there. that we wore uh over the weekend that was actually um the the picture there was something that kaylee drew herself when going through uh you know her, her treatment and things so it looked as it was very special for us to kind of go down there and and be part of their village to you know because it's it's not just the family sorry it's not just the the young kid that's battling it it's it's the um the siblings it's the family it's the wider community as well and we um well christy actually had a bit of a speech we had a jersey presentation and 
those four little warriors there that have been battling through this. Some uh, Curly just rang the bell t- uh, two weeks ago, so she's in remission, which is fantastic. But got to meet you know four four of the little kids that have, have been doing it tough and and just showing so much strength and uh, you know so it was like it was a special moment there and then and then we went into had to try and switch on to, to game mode but uh just to sort of see the overwhelming sort of support for the charity was was great and uh and just how much uh people got around that was yeah it was fantastic very good boys very good you go down there and do that yeah um so try for you try for yeah i got the the try that i didn't want so part of the reason for me playing at number 12 clearly i'm a bit heavier and all you people in the comments i don't need to keep fucking reading it <laughs> well, and then look how much white's not really your color it's either, not my color this. yeah um and so i thought you know what the last thing i want to be is out in space yep and be found wanting or the expectation that i could need to do something and have some sort of pace um admittedly heavier slower so i thought go into 12 just get in front of people i can do that but then uh then i got an intercept about 40 out and so i started running away thinking okay I've got it here, but this one one young bloke from Goulburn just wouldn't let me have it and just kept chasing me the whole way. And so once I, I eventually scored it and that was it. That was me done. I just walked off. And that was your 35 minutes you walked off? Yeah, I just tapped out. So, Gitsy, you look, it looked like you took it a bit more seriously than these other two clowns. Um, did they did they do anything out there? They did. No, they were outstanding. I um, They offered a lot more than I did, to be honest. I think... Yeah, it was just good fun. Um, just playing footy. I got to play with my little brother. He was there as well. Arnie Arms. Uh, brother-in-law. He was the, the number eight. So, yeah, Arnie Arms was there. Uh, Uncle Sock. So it was good. Just a good family feel. Good fun. Played with the right spirits. I remember even Drew was saying when he came back after scoring that try, did the intercept, ran the length, still put it down, and they still sprayed him. So he couldn't <laughs> win. So he just walked off. The, the bloke who passed the ball of the intercept, Sprayed me for not having any pace on the way back. <laughs> <laughs> now, I've got to ask, because when ex-players that have played at an elite level go back and play these lower grades, there's always someone on the other team who has a badge of honour wants to come out and kill one of you blokes. Was there anybody lining you, you up? No, I don't think so. Like, I mean, look, to be fair, it was a, um, it was a, game, of, a game of possessions. Like, I mean, we had the ball the whole time, yeah. um, hence why we scored 61 Although points. you got gassed a few times. I did. I mean, on one leg. I mean, <laughs> I tore my calf about 15 minutes into the first half. So I was on one leg for the rest of the game. But going um, into that game, I had someone from Goulburn inbox me telling me to run it straight. So, <laughs> And then when we're warming up, that, that guy like pointed him, yelled out to me, and I don't have great eyesight, so I thought it was someone I knew. I was like, hey, mate. And, like, and then I, the boys go, do you know that guy? I was like, oh, actually, no, I don't. I, Turned out it was that guy. And he was the 10 for uh, Goldwyn, the bloke who threw the intercept to me. But, um, and so he was lifting me up all game. So I was actually trying to chase him. I think at one point I had him in a bit of a headlock, trying to give him a bit yeah, of Yeah, I think I've seen a photo of that. Can we put that one up, Ollie? Yeah, you look a little bit cranky. Well, you know, just got to got to sit him, sit him in their place a little bit, you know? Man, I know you're not much of a stats man, but how many tackles did you make over the weekend? Plenty. Yeah, I, I know. It's probably the most I've seen you defend. Yeah. Well, because I was defending in, outside Gitsu who had a torn cord and inside you who had a torn calf. So I, was ask, doing, I was doing the lion's share. So you two obviously played your entire Wallabies careers the other way around when mm. you inside Drew. Do you think all those years they had it wrong? Potentially. That- <laughs> Although I didn't see much ball. but um... yeah, yeah, well, that's, that's what happened with my career outside you. It's my turn to get one back. Mate, very good. It's, uh, it's 
Great that you went down and did that for a wonderful cause. And you were saying there's a couple of other Wallabies legends that are talking about coming and doing it next year. Yeah, well, Senator Pocock was there watching. And uh, apparently he's put his hand up for next year's game, as well as another pretty tidy back rower, George Smith. So I don't know who we're going to be playing next year, but I reckon we're going to have a fair bit of the ball in that game as well. <laughs> so I reckon eventually all 15 should be ex-Wallabies. And maybe you drop down to fifths. And you just really put 600 on them, people. Hey, um... This has also led to an idea for a segment, Drew, okay. which you rang me about over the weekend. Mm. Gitz, I don't know if you're across this one. Drew, do you want to tell people at home what they might be able to do next year? Yeah, we're thinking some sort of segment where I, we, obviously there's still a bit of thought that it has to go through with it, but perhaps people can kind of write in and say why that they would want or need us to play for them. Now, they'd have to be fourth grade or lower. They'd also have to be at the bottom end of the table so it doesn't have any impact on finals so that we could register. But maybe we commit to six games a year in different competitions around the country and we just go into a club and perhaps we do a, a, a junior coaching clinic the day before and then we play the game the, the day after. Swoop, Gitz, what do you think? Yeah, I, I really like it. I, I like the idea of criteria as well. No longer than one half. Mm. I mean, so I can't go over 40 minutes. Yeah. And I'm thinking maybe we can present a rug to the man of the match. Oh, you know, like, oh uh, now we're cooking. You know what I mean? We're cooking. <laughs> cooking with rugs. Gitz, are you happy to go and play one half six times next year for the worst team in all the comps around the country? <laughs> yes. Yes, I am. But I don't like the idea of going there a day early because then that night... Uh, hanging around Drew is going to go sideways and then we'll all be hung over and it won't be good. So I'd prefer to uh, potentially maybe do a clinic in the morning of the game. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I woke that, up, I pushed, the boat, I pushed the boat out pretty far on Friday and uh, woke up a bit dusty. Um, not greatest prep, but... Uh, no, not great prep. And we had to stop three times on the way down to, to Queanbeyan because old mate over here had to drop yeah. Yeah, really. Drop a few loads off. When? What do you mean? Which end? Oh. Number threes were they? <laughs> he was spewing. He was spewing, brushing his teeth in the morning. Um, now the race boys. This is also getting quite a bit of chat. Yeah. Uh, Gitz, was anybody talking about it down in Queenby and these blokes racing each other? Huge. It is huge. Uh, it's all they would talk about. I, I had a feeling. Now, and was is it true? You guys went and interviewed Michael Checker during the week. Is it true that you were running them through their paces a little bit, getting them ready for the race? I was more just to see where they're at, uh, their hip range, um, how springy they were on their feet. But surprisingly, both of them showed some great form. So I think this race is going to be huge. Well, Gitz, mm -hmm. who's the pick of the yard from what you saw uh, last week when we interviewed Czech? You know, before, before the horses go out, they have a pick of the yard. Who's your early form favourite? Well, I don't like to see a horse sweating. So I'm going to have to go with, uh, with Coopy on this one. <laughs> However, it was about you, four degrees. Yeah, well. it's not You've always been a phenomenal mover, Biv. I love watching you run. Um, and also, Swoop has torn his calf, so that's going to shorten things up for you, I reckon. Well, I've also broken my toe. Yeah, but you can push through that, I think, for 60 metres. A calf's going to be a little bit tougher. Now, Sportsbet did frame a market. Did they? Yeah, and they had you at $1.67 and you at two two. Fifty or two twenty-five, <laughs> but they've pulled it. So yeah, well, apparently they just had too much, too many people betting on it. They thought it's suspicious. Was that you? Were you? <laughs> no, it's only a hundred-dollar max bet. Uh, but there's lots of different names you can bet under, and <laughs> lots of different accounts. So uh, that's exciting. Now the other problem is we. I tossed but they're going to put it back up, though, right? I believe so. I yeah. think I got the date wrong. 
knowing me. Um, we were tossing up that you'd run it at the MCG before the Bledisloe. Yeah. Um, but that has been blocked. Yeah, yeah, I didn't think that was going to get over the line. No, they're slightly concerned that that will overshadow the game <laughs> and that a lot of people will show up, 90,000 to see that. And then leave. And then leave. Yeah. So it's fair enough. Um, so what we would <laughs> like to do now, and we've tossed, I don't know whether we've spoken to, well, we might get you to speak to them actually, uh, Swoop. We'd like to run at the last Shoot Shield round of the week, okay. uh, uh, round of the, the, the year, the, the North Sydney Bears taking on the Hunter Wildfires. I don't think that, that's rugby league, mate. They're not the North Sydney Bears. <laughs> what did I say? North Sydney Bears. That's yeah. the rugby league version. And go the mighty Bears. Um, <laughs> North versus Hunter Wildfires. That's all. Down there at North Sydney Oval. Um, maybe half time. Okay. You two could take on each other. It's a fast deck. When, what kind of time frame are we talking about? Because like Gitz just touched on, I've blown my calf. I'm out for six weeks. It's you official. You haven't blown it. I've blown it. No, you're it's just blown. trying to blow your odds out. Oh, this is good. Keep going. Right. I'm going somewhere here. Because a mate of mine, a mate, mm. is keen to put on a, a same race multi, right, for Swoop Dog, double O, to win and Drew not to finish. Injured. <laughs> Could you imagine the are odds they, on that? Are they offering that? I, I haven't had a look. No, well, they're not yet. But maybe they could frame a few more markets. There should be. Um, is there a market on you to spew? Post the 60 metres? I'm not taking bets. That's just a certainty. <laughs> um, very good. So hopefully we can get down there and do that uh, for that last round of the Shoot Shield. Now, um, where can people find us? This is the other question. We're getting lots of, God, I want to follow you guys as the greatest show. You're reinventing the game of rugby union. Um, <laughs> at Good Bad Rugby AUS is on all socials. Everything, uh, lots of content going up, lots of pod tent. Pod tent. Yeah, pod tent. Pod tent. You guys have been great. Uh, and you can also email us if you do have uh, any questions for the boys. Last week you did that wonderful uh, tackling demonstration. Yep. Ollie, was Ollie impressed? Did we get any feedback from Ollie? How'd he go in his game on the weekend? Uh, Ollie, he hasn't written in. Okay. Hasn't he? No, he's, I think he was grounded because he used the C-bomb <laughs> yeah. in an email. So I don't know if he got to play against Ramwick. Yeah. Naughty boy. Very naughty. <laughs> Naughty boy, but um, I'm sure he'll get out there this weekend and fuck someone up. Um, time for some mid-show thanks. God, we've gone early on the mid-show thanks. You know why? Because this Michael Checker interview yeah. is epic. So oh. we're about to get into this, and I've got to congratulate you boys. Honestly, one of the best interviews I've ever seen. So we'll do the mid-show thanks early. Um, big thank you to our friends uh, at Harvey Norman, great supporters of Aussie Rugby, and the home of technology and the place to get your furniture, bedding, electrical appliances, and rugs aplenty. They've got a range, great value, and great prices on TV, so make sure you get down to Harvey Norman and grab a smart TV so you can stream this next interview that's about to happen. It's very yeah. good in Ultra HD. Um, now, Michael Checker, can I just off the bat say, and I watched this from go to woe, right <laughs> when Check walked in, um, to when he left. Yep. I got a very different feel from the Checker interview with you three boys than I did to the Eddie Jones one. Can you explain the difference in the, those feelings? Well, I mean, two completely different blokes. And I think we got Check at the right time, one off the back of a win against the Wallabies. So he was obviously very happy with the result for his Argentinian team, but also you know, a week out from another game. So we got him got him right in the middle um, where you get the old-fashioned kind of vintage relaxed check without without any sprays or fire-ups. But, um, you know, he seemed relaxed. He seemed happy with where he's at. He'd spent time with his, his wife and his four kids. Um, and, uh, yeah, it seemed like he was in a really good place. I also think it's probably our relationship with him. Um, 
there's probably with Eddie, there's still quite a large amount of element of fear. Whereas, I don't know, Czech, I think we're probably just more shared experiences more recently um, as well. And I don't know, there's probably just a bit more comfortability in, in, in that sense rather than sitting across from Eddie where you still think he could maybe, you know, drop you even though you're not even in any team <laughs> drop, of his. Drop you from the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Drew, you're not needing any more. Gits, is that what you, you're sort of thinking? When I talk to Checker, it's like, you know, I'm a man and I've got kids and I've grown up. With Eddie, he pulled me out of club rugby, so I still feel like I'm that 17, 18, you know, year old kid. You just don't feel comfortable. Um, I had a lot more honest conversations with Czech um, throughout my career. So, yeah, it's just a totally different dynamic, totally different relationship, like Drew said. Um, and obviously recent um, shared experiences with him as well makes us a lot more comfortable. All right, well, boys, uh, yeah, very good interview. Let's get to it. Uh, these three idiots with Michael Checker. Well, we've got the great Michael Checker. Thanks for uh, giving us a bit of your time. Oh, no, they're great. <laughs> well, yeah, not great because you're 27 <laughs> minutes late. But <laughs> I'll be charging for the other 27, don't worry. <laughs> Normally, if we're late 27 minutes, you make us do some cardio. Yeah. It's almost what? like our time to re return serve. No, mate, I had to do cardio by getting out of the cab to come <laughs> in. So down the hill, out the cardio. But look, I'm back on Kujiava, so times are good. Yeah, Can't complain. Yeah. How good. Um, well, get straight into it. Uh, last week's game, Argentina over Australia, you get the win. Uh, what was that like? Um, look, for us, like, you know, from where we're sort of starting this year, it was obviously a pretty good improvement from the week before against New Zealand. Like, we've still got a lot of guys that are just starting season again because we gave everyone, um, from the finishing the European seasons, had to have three or four weeks off, depending on what they'd done the year before. Yeah. And, um, and they had three weeks of prep training before they come in. So not as much an end of season break, but a mid-season sort of break. It's what we've tried to do. So most of the guys in New Zealand week wouldn't have played for maybe eight weeks. Yeah, right. Um, and then... We still got guys coming back. The guys who play top 14 finals will start coming back this week. So it's about trying to balance them getting enough footy before the World Cup and still trying to play all right here. What was good about for us the other night is I think that's the first time we've probably won the possession battle in any of the games since I've started coaching. So last year we didn't pay a whole lot of attention to attack. We tried to work on the more fundamental parts of the game defensively and, you know, kick chasing and all that stuff that's boring, but you've got to do. And this year we're trying to spend a little bit more time keeping the ball and playing with the footy. And to beat actual Australia, is that, is it a different spice when you play Australia to beat them? Does it feel better, worse, no different? Well, obviously it's your country, right? So yeah. it's my, it's my country. So, and I have, been the coach of Australia as well so in the initial instances like when I first left you know I couldn't imagine myself doing anything you know and you can't when you're in that position and I coach with all you guys if I'm thinking about oh I might be able to catch this team next or that team next like you got to you got to have that attitude like, this is it this is what I'm doing to the end you know and um, to have that 100% commitment then when Mario asked me to go and give him a hand when he was coaching, it was awkward. I, it was hard for me to put the gear on, you know. Every day I'd come down with a different piece of kit on, just working my way in to get in the full, the full team kit on because it was, it was tricky. And then I think last year when we played Australia in um, San Juan and we won, I was uh, sort of up cheering. And then, I, like I think I said at, at the game, and then sort of 30 seconds later, I was nearly crying because 
and go, should I actually be doing this, cheering yeah. against yeah. Australia, you know? Yeah. This year, I suppose time, you know, like I say, everything heals all wounds, so it's, um, or it makes it easier. So it was a bit, a bit, bit more matter of fact this year, you know, and the fact that we're trying to get to something further down the road and this is a good step on the way and obviously it was nice for the fans and because we had a good fan contingent there at the game and it was it was nice to get the win especially after last week's game just on coaching against australia i've noticed that you when you're coaching against australia you don't wear the argentinian logo and is that a, is that a, like a no, conscious I decision it. i don't wear it oh like i said like even just... when you're with mario as, a, as an assistant no i just I'm used to wearing the other kit, you know. I'm, I'm like when, when I coach on game day, I wouldn't get in the team uniform yeah. as much as because Gitz thought that the the knit was a good fit. Thanks, mate. I appreciate it. Yeah, I put it on really a few shows off your shape. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I got it. It's blue. There you go. But no, I don't know why. It's just different. It's funny, you know. People ask about that. Even when I first went to Argy some of the players asked about but I didn't really wear it well in Australia we had like a team blazer so you mm. wore that we don't have that um yeah. sort of kit what about the there. anthem do you sing that no I don't think it's my place to sing the anthem I'm not Argentinian yeah. you know what I mean but it's a great anthem yeah, yeah, well, I'm humming it, it in my head <laughs> when it's going <laughs> it is good <laughs> there's a long version too mm. I don't know I like the long version you know it keeps the other team waiting as well you know what I mean yeah. you didn't like so, it when we were playing it <laughs> back, back no exactly but it's quite uh, emotional and the fans love it so it's, it is that and they're very patriotic you know I think they love being Argentinian for many reasons you know we've gone through you guys would have all been through the process with me about building team identity and all that stuff and in what we've been doing with the with this team as we try to get ready for the cup there's a lot a lot around that being together friends um, you know dinner time team dinners here like everyone's there yeah. you know there's no they're all there they're all sitting guys at different tables always mixing last night for example we had the the asado, the big barbecue, they come to my place. We gave them the option, do you want to go out for dinner? Well, we can have the barbecue up there because they couldn't do it at the hotel. So, I don't know, we're having the barbecue at your joint. Yeah, they left me to clean it all up, yeah. mind you. It's also because they wouldn't have had to pay at your joint. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, they wouldn't have had to pay anywhere. Right? So, but um, they, it's just something they like doing around that, that whole vibe, around hanging out together, cooking meat, having a glass of wine or you know, whatever it is. So. so we're down here at Randwick. I used to be, you're a proud Randwick man. Used to play down here many years and went into coaching. What, what was it, what was, what was it about coaching that, that lured you into, into that path? Mate, nothing to be honest. I, I like, I never thought about coaching. I'd done some of the like development officer or something like that right with Randwick when I first came down, but I was never imagining being involved in coaching. And I, I suppose the same themes that got me into rugby in the first place. I brought up playing league and then I just lived up the road from here. So I'd come down as a kid and watch the games. And then I generally thought as I got towards the end of school, like I could probably get a free trip overseas if I played <laughs> rugby. And two years later, I was playing in France. And then coaching, same thing. I was playing down here. It was the late 90s, so 99. And um, Campo contacted me and said his team in Italy was looking for a, a coach. I spoke Italian from playing over there, and I thought, you know, that sounds like a good holiday. You know, north of north of Italy, <laughs> near, near Venice, why not? And if coaching's good, and I enjoy it, and I can, and we'll see what happens, you know. So that's that's how it sort of started, without any um, thought about turning coaching into a something that I was going to do more regularly, you know. But now you 
you don't have a break. Like you go Lebanon, then back Argentina, then potentially linked to different um, roles. You obviously love coaching. Yeah. You know, what is it about coaching that you just can't? I know. <laughs> oh, look, obviously there's a few different elements. There's the tactical element and the, have the idea of building a team. You know, I'll, I'll, most of my things have been turnarounds as well. So that idea of like, can we, can we turn this around? You know what yeah. I mean? Can we get that going forward? Then there's <clears throat> the other, and that's more, I suppose, the, the ego part where you want to see if you're good enough to do it. And then there's the other part, which, you know, I think is those moments where players get to achieve the things that they never thought that they could achieve. There's, there's small moments that you're building to all the time, but when they happen, they're extremely rewarding, you know, and they've quite, for me, they're quite vivid in my, my mind, the times that they've happened at different clubs, whether it was here at Randwick when I coached, at Leinster when they won their first European, with the Waratahs when they won, with Australia when we, you know, that run in the World Cup that year, you know, those things that we didn't, when, when people exceed their expectations, it's a huge thing, you know, for them. And if you can help them get there, it's quite addictive, you know what I mean? Because you start to build a bond, you know what I mean? Doesn't matter, like say, for even for us, there's, you know, we wouldn't be like best mates from when we were before, but there's a sort of bond you get from when you've done those things together that you never let go, you know, and you're connected with that through the rest of your life. And I like that. And then 2014, coaching the Waratahs on, well, before that, but then getting that, that championship in 2014, how was that? Well, mate, the whole Waratah thing was weird for me, you know, because I was never really picked. I think I played a couple of games. I was sort of always, you know, the anti-Waratahs, you know what I mean? They're part of the anti-establishment, you know. They call that know. the Brumbies. <laughs> <laughs> well, not even they give yeah. me a run, right? So, uh, you know, and I, I always had an excuse, you know, oh, they didn't like me because I didn't go to the right school, they didn't like me because of this, they didn't like me, you know, typical excuses as opposed to if I just stuck at it, I probably would have got there, you know, but, um, so when I, when they asked me to come back coach of Waratahs, I had to get my head around it, you know, I had to, like, you've got to love the team, you can't not love it, you know, so you've got, I had to work my way around on how how I was going to connect in with the team, which I was able to do pretty quickly, you know, well, with the with the club in itself. A lot of that came through, I think, the early idea that a lot of people didn't weren't big on the Tars because of the years before that they'd had. So I sort of identified with that and connected with it and got in stuck into that early on, and it was good. Obviously, most of these things, when you have good runs, you will all know from teams that you've been in that it, it comes down to the people, you know what I mean? The connection with the people, whether they're the players, the, the coaching team, you know, the things that happen on, you know, and that's when special things happen, when there's a good concoction of people together. Yeah, you've got to have good players and good strategy and all that preparation stuff, but it's usually good people, you know? It's not, you know, it's it's not the normal thing that a bloke comes down and reads a poem, you know, before yeah. a final of well, a footy match, you know what I mean? It? <laughs> so, yeah. It, yeah, well, you know, those Was it a good things, poem? Uh, well, it he wasn't went, invited. It, it, I wasn't oh. invited, but it did go long. Like, it was a long poem, so it probably could have been a book later on. I don't know. Surprise hasn't come out, limited edition. Where, but. where do all these themes come from? It's obviously something you're big on. I yeah. want to just talk on one thing after, you know, where you get these. Like, are you just sick in the mind? Or, like, how to... Like, running up hills, you tape everyone's mouths, holding hands, running up hills. 
Uh, there was like an ice challenge <laughs> where boys just had to basically drown themselves <laughs> and try and stay composed. And then the, the other one that I missed, I think Swoot was a part of it, but he wasn't the actual group, was where you had a private investigator <laughs> before the World Cup. <laughs> you pulled four or five players. They, like they kidnapped felt them. Like, kidnapped, felt like they got arrested, <laughs> so we've got your phone, right. you need to rat on anyone. So it was just I'm a give test of mentality. World exclusive here. Yeah, right? this is what I'm after. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that whole kidnapping thing, right? I have got all the footage of that. That's right? amazing. And what I'm going to say it now, so everyone here, we, we, did you get kidnapped? No, you know, we, we were in France. We only just arrived at so once yeah. the When guy the came boys watch, this is going to be a world exclusive. When they were getting interviewed by the kidnappers, <laughs> so, <laughs> so what happened was I sent them a text so they didn't, they didn't freak out. They knew it was coming from me. And I said, be at this address. I want to talk to you at this time. So I was addressed in industrial Brisbane, I think. I don't know where yeah. we were, but we were Brizzy or somewhere. In, a, in an old industrial warehouse, and I've got these two guys I knew, I can't say where they're from, because their employer might not, be, not, might not appreciate it. And they had the whole kit, you know, the whole spy kit, the interrogation was all set up inside the factory. And uh, they came and knocked on the door, and the guy let them in. It's got full kitted, I've got the gun, everything, the dark room. <laughs> and like, they got the message from me, so they must have known it was, not fair income, but you know when you get in this. Mm. Oh, they panicked. And mate, they none of them know it to this day, but I was sitting right behind them when they were oh, getting all wow. the questions asked to them. Now, so they so they were sit sat here. The boys are in front. The, the guy was in front of them saying, "You've got to look forward. You can't do this." And then the guy was asking them the questions from behind in true um, ASIO tactics. You know what I mean, or FBI tactics, whatever they are. And I was sitting with him, but there were some times where I couldn't stop laughing. Like I had to go back into the room in the back because I was going, these guys are going to turn that. Yeah. If I was there, I would have told him to beat it. Like just got up and get lost. Where, where was this? It was in Brizzy, I think. We were having a I camp. I remember Wycliffe, apparently Wycliffe was, Wycliffe Harley was the beast. He didn't we, say a word. We did it with everyone. We did it with everyone. Oh, All so the everyone boys. Yeah, it. everyone got it. And How I've did never. You miss out? You're in Australia. I, I'm, I think it's coming back to me. I'm oh, pretty sure it? you were done. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I've got all the videos <laughs> still. I've, ne there? <laughs> I've oh, never man, watched them. Never watched them. Yeah, right. But uh, I've got them all. It was. But it, it was basically to try and say to the guys. Yeah, where where do the ideas come from? There's going to be capacity to disrupt our campaign, you've got to make sure you, well, your look, phones, that, you're not sending Yeah, that was a bit of an under an undertone. Under but mate, at the end of the day, it's about having the shared experience. Like, they were told, you can't tell anyone yeah. you've had this thing out, right? And they'd all know, they all knew they had it. And it was that question of like, do we, do we talk? talk about yeah. it or <laughs> yeah. do we not talk about it? And then, I don't know if you remember, but maybe two, three months later, I brought in the guy who yeah. was doing That's the questioning. Where we came in. And, and the voice, we know your voice. I'm sure we know your voice. <laughs> and eventually, you know, we, we spoke about it, but no one ever knew that, you know, that, that actually there was a small GoPro there right in front, so it was videoing the guys totally. But and, the good uh, thing about that group, I remember, <coughs> because we missed it, when we came back three months later, and this guy walked in, then the players are saying, what did you get interviewed? Like, no one actually spoke. That was so what I really, really remember. Good thing yeah. about the group. And the shared experiences, as crazy as they are, you know what I mean? They're, they they start off as a bit of a G up and you know, everyone has a bit of us, but eventually they sort of take hold, you know, mm -hmm. like and I like that idea. You gotta be it's gotta be like you gotta it's gotta catch fire authentically, you can't push it. The, the amount of things I've tried to do over the years, you drop the anchor, 
and no one really picks it up, you know. So yeah. You dropped a few in that 2014. Few yeah, we had, that was we a had, good year. Yeah, we, we had, had a, the bell yeah. over in uh, against the Chiefs. Waikato, we had yeah. the mirror, which I think you end up breaking. <laughs> you burnt. You lit something on fire, which burnt, which set off the fire extinguishers, and then you had obviously had the club. You know the, the, golf the club. you know that Tiger Woods <laughs> let the club go kind of yeah. mindset. You, where did that come from? Well, like, I don't know. I'll obviously read a lot and try to look at different ideas and watch, if, you know, where, you know, people who have succeeded before difficult times. And one of the best things we did that year, I remember, was we uh, we went on a pre-season tour. Remember in the, I don't know if you were there, in the cars, driving down the coast, something. We ended up, we ended up in some place. And I said to the boys, right, I want to talk about, and we said something about do a picture of what your life's going to look like in 20 years, I don't know, whatever. And it came back a lot of family stuff in there. So I got everyone to start doing their family trees. And uh, we, I did, uh, Day, I remember Daryl did his because he was a good mix, Scottish, Maori. I did mine. There was, I needed about three sheets of paper <laughs> because, you know, the lebs, lots of cousins. <laughs> and, uh, and then everyone did one, took a photo, and then I went, we went back to the HQ and I put them all up in the corridor, right? And you could see it wasn't long before Kane's mother passed away, you know, after Kane's mother passed away. It was quite emotional and, yeah, there was a lot of guys around him and we, there was a lot of that family connection going on. And I, I'd often see the boys in the corridor looking at the family trees. I remember Nick told us a story, Nick Phipps, about his two grandparents who were in the same prisoner war camp in... It'll, just amazing stories and then one week we were playing against one of the African teams and we were struggling a bit on D, our attack was going alright. So I took them all down, all the posters, and I got someone to type all the names up of everyone on each team. And we did this huge photo, uh, poster that said defend for them and inside all the letters was all the names of all the different people from the family trees jumbled up, you know. And so you can turn that sort of emotional side and try and connect it back to actually what you're trying to do in footy. And I don't know if you remember in a lot of those videos that we do, they'd have a lot of the footy things that we want to try and achieve as well connected to them. So you're trying to connect the emotional side and the, 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 uh, the shock tactic almost a little bit to things that you actually want to get in the game. And sometimes they work, you know, sometimes they don't, I suppose. It depends on the openness of the players or the people you're trying to I remember affect, one before you know? the Uruguay game at 2015, it was around, uh, as a sperm, we, we beat nine million <laughs> or nine others. billion others. Yeah, that's right. We're already a winner just being here. <laughs> that is spot on. Yeah, yeah. Well, mate, it's it. That yeah. was it. Cause it was we somehow did in our high and just little sperms. It was high video. Mate, I'll use anything. It's I don't 65 care. 3, so <laughs> any tactic, yeah. any tactic we can. Um, well, on uh, 2015, um, I mean, myself and Gitz were, were brought back, but you were speaking to Gitz for quite a number of months, trying to gauge his interest and, and to get him back. Um, what took you so long to call me? <laughs> Probably wrong number, or you hadn't paid your bill or something like that, I don't know. Probably. No, man, I think it was a, like, in general, that whole idea was, you know, um, there's, well, I thought we had a pretty good team, you know, the, in general, but I think, in, you know, how teams need different characters to activate them, you know, get some players, just them having them there make other players play better. And some, I felt like that was the sort of mix we needed of older experience, still playing good footy. I'm talking about, you know, the both of you from, you're from coming over there, but 
also with a different mindset, like a different attitude that would show the other guys. A little bit like, remember when I, from Waratahs when we brought Jacques Pockgeeter? Mm. Like Jacques was never, you know, he wasn't a genius. He was a really good player, but he showed our players a sort of different way to approach yeah. the game contact you know what I mean like because he'd go Jesus lads what are you doing all this contact to training for <laughs> like we're not supposed to be doing it here in the game you know I think it changed Kane changed a uh, few fair few players there and gave that and that's the same when you guys came back for that uh, tournament gave guys a different outlook on I don't know sweep you were there from the other side I suppose too like how for a lot of the younger guys different attitude and a different view on how to be at your best but still try and stay cool, you know what I mean? Like, it's it's good fun to be really good and we can still manage it with a, yeah, I think we needed that sort of, I don't know what you reckon, we needed that different head around us, you know what I mean? Different sort of styles of characters. How, um, sorry, how hard was that to get that across the line with the, because I remember uh, there was a couple of things you were asking me if I could play super rugby, but myself and my family, we were so happy in France. Yeah. So I unfortunately had to turn that down, but then... Yeah. I think at first they were sort of against it. But like, like anything, when you're the head coach, you've got to try and sell your ideas to everybody. Players and those above you, you know, CEOs and board members. And it's as good as you are in selling that vision to everyone. There's, there's what you can do. So I think a few... What happened was there was a couple of influential people on the board who liked the idea, and I think I worked together with them to just convince the others, you know what I mean, why this was a good thing and why it was low risk, you know yeah. what I mean, why, why it was low risk. There was only upside for us from it, and you know I think it took a few months, but I thought it was well thought out. I sort of connected with the right guys politically on the board at that point, and then we were able to get that that sorted out. And I think it shows that it worked pretty well. And what did each of us bring to the team? Oh, no, like I'm going to answer this one seriously, not joking. What you brought to the team was all of you in different ways <clears throat> was quality of play, first of all. I think that's the number one thing, quality of play from each of the players. And then really good for me as a new, like you would have all had me as a new coach too, after many years of having other coaches in rugby like total buy-in to what we're, what we're doing, bringing that energy to that. So for me as a coach, it was always great to have players who had had a lot of experience with other top-line coaches then buying into the vision that I wanted to bring to the team. So I think those two things together make it a, a good mix as to how coaching and playing together can work in that way. Did you have a, do you have a favourite memory of that, that 2015 campaign after these blokes turned up? Um, but it was good. You know, the day I liked the most, like there was a lot of good games, but the day I liked the most was the day we went to Manly and we ran oh, up yeah. the hills. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? We went down, we went running as if we were going to go run in the uh, domain because we'd run there the day before. Turned around, ran back down to the boat, remember? And then we got on the ferry and everyone thought we were going to the yachting club for a party yeah, or whatever. Yeah. We said, yeah, we are, but later we all ran past. I think Poey collapsed that day, you know what I mean? He ran so hard up the hills, you know. We were completely and, in the dark with that day too, weren't we? And that's the great thing, you know, about being, like I was sort of in the dark too. I, I wasn't sure what we were gonna do until that morning, you know what I mean? I thought, I had a few different things lined up and I, I'm, the poor guys at RG are dying because I'm always deciding things at the very last minute because I want to see 
you know, things change from one day to another. You know, what I, we've had a couple of hard days training here now in the week off. And the first day we went very hard. And then I just wanted to see how that first day panned out. I had two or three different plans for the next day. So the way I think about that is the more you're in the dark, the more you're able to adapt in the dark to, to things, the better off we'll be when we get in the dark in the game, which of course we will be, you know what I mean? Scottish quarterfinal, um, different, uh, Welsh game when we went down to 13. Uh, there was a lot, you know, even just playing England at their home ground in the World Cup match, you know, so important. So we were in the dark plenty of times in that tournament. We were able to come out pretty well. Speaking of the dark and also that manly trip, do you remember our conversation on the ferry on the way over? No. It was, it was where you told me I was going into Fat Club. <laughs> Mate, I think you've got to think about that, right? You were well, in there for a half an hour. Like, that was yeah, it. Well, no, you said until you get to 90... There's only two people. Until you get to 93 <laughs> kilos, I can't consider you. And I was on the way over to do hills all day. I was so filthy going up those hills. Well, mate, you weren't too filthy when you were running in a try in the semi-final well, against true. Argentina, yeah, I mean... were you? Like, <laughs> I, you know, like, you, you were taking all the accolades in the post-match drinks and celebrations after that, that's yeah. for sure, you know yeah, what it's I mean? About so it is about balance. And, you know, when you, you the hard times... And, you know, maybe some things are symbolic, you know what I mean? It's not like... I, I wouldn't know if you play better at 93 or 90, you know, but maybe it's something like just... Yeah. Tighten the screw a little bit. I don't know, it's different for every person, mate. So I didn't really do it with any malice in mind. I generally <laughs> no. just thought you needed to train no, a bit harder to be I've ready. I've let go of it, but So that's why he was in the fat club? Like just... It wasn't a fat club. Okay, it was a fitness club. Fitness club. It's like, you know, <laughs> I was ahead of my time because everyone's got a gym and a fitness thing now, you know what I mean? I was well before all that, any time fitness. You know yeah, what I mean? No, what Drew keeps complaining about. I really enjoyed our time at Notre Dame in Chicago. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it was great that was pretty good down there, though. Yeah. Don't worry about that. Uh, well, you said before about bringing us back, um, there was no risk involved. Do you remember uh, through the 2015 World Cup campaign where I was having to go away and have some conversations with the Scotland Yard? What was that about? There was like an alleged ticketing thing. <laughs> you still can't comment on it. <laughs> well, I've, I've, I've signed statements and things. Um, and, and I remember basically you just said, like, if I hadn't any involvement, I was getting sent home. <laughs> Well, yes, exactly. <laughs> no, I don't. Okay. But I sort of try to eliminate those illegal activities yeah, so from my mind. Probably you know from I mean? the second pool going through to the semi-final, I was having discussions with them. Well, investigated, yeah, yeah. And all I kept remember, all I was hearing from Paddy Mollahan and and the crew were like, "Mate, if you've got any involvement, check sending you home. Like, he doesn't want anything to disrupt this campaign." <laughs> I guess now that you don't remember it too much, that uh, <coughs> I, would you thought though, if you sent me home, sort of through that, that it would have maybe disrupted it more? No. <laughs> Mate, we would have just kicked off. <laughs> we would have just on, you know. I know that it's important to have good self-belief and yeah. self-opinion yeah. before. No, I mean, not, not in terms nah. of on-field oh, performance. Yes. I'm talking about, like, the, Mate, the proof field. Yeah. The one thing that you've got to support your players mm. at all. You've got to support your individual players. And I think over the years, I've always tried to do that to the best of my ability. And I've had some interesting ones along yeah, the way, sure. right, without a doubt. But at the end of the day, my, my overall role is to support the team, right? Not the, and the individuals make up the team, yes, but anything that can threaten the team, you've got you've to go with. And even if that hurts you, you know, if it's hurt me before against guys that I've really liked, you know what I mean, in different scenarios. But at the end of the day, that's, 
that's the coach's responsibility. So, yes, you take a bit of short-term pain and you get you try to get a bit of longer-term gain at the back end of it. But that's the way I sort of see. That's the way I tried to see it through, you know, everything through whether it was the Israel stuff when that happened or. Once it starts to get too much for the team, that's what I've got to protect, you know what I mean? Sometimes you don't get it exactly right timing-wise, but you've got to try and do that at all costs. Um, you, you touched on Israel. I don't want to talk about that actual yeah. scenario, no, but 219 was the last time you were with the, well, you know, with the Wallabies. How hard was that, getting let go? Oh, yeah, mate, obviously. Mate, what was hard, wasn't, that bit wasn't hard. The hard bit was more not achieving the goal that, you know, we, we made the final last time. There was only one step of improvement to make. You can't do that in four years. There, I wouldn't expect to be going again, right? Like by my own standards. And yes, we had a lot of things that sidetracked us um, and hurt our, hurt our preparation without a doubt. Apart, you know, not just alone the fact of him not being there, he's a pretty handy player, but then all the disruptions that came and the, the, the problems inside where, where I, I only look at myself and how I handle those situations and, you know, I think I made wrong calls. I've said it before in 218, you know, when they started bringing in a selector and a director of rugby and all that. I just should have said, no way, you either believe in me or you fire me now. And they would have been with their rights because we had a bad year in 18, right? We had a bad year. And I wouldn't have been, if they said, sorry, check, you've had a good go at it, you've had your chance, you haven't done good enough here, I would have said, hey, fair enough, you know? didn't win enough games in that year. Like I said, I know we had, you could have excuses, but at the end of the day, that's that's the, the role for the coach. And I would have said more than comfortable, but I was dirty on myself that I accepted a compromise, which I don't often do. I compromised only twice, you know, once at Stade Francais when I went there in the in the first year. <clears throat> and then, uh, and that didn't work out good. And then that, that time there, that's the only, they're the only times I've ever made compromises to try to get to a better end and they both worked out bad. So that, that it's not to be not make a compromise in because you're stubborn. Make no don't compromise on what's important to you, your values, the the philosophy that I have as a person and as a coach and the sort of team I want to be around. So you can't compromise those things, it never works out. Also you you want to pick a team that you believe in. And like if you fall on the sword, so your coaching wasn't good enough, well that was you actually had a hundred percent control of that. Yeah. So I can kind of understand what. Yeah, what look, you're and, there. and not only that, mate. Like, I think it's just it's too many mixed messages for the other player, for the players. You know what I mean? Like, I can't, I, I can't go into some of the details because that's not my no, go, right? When it came to those selection things or whatever, but you, you can't in in footy teams. I see it a lot now. You know, the, whether it's in both codes in league and union. They always talk about director of this and this guy and that guy. There can only be one boss, yeah. right? I think for players, they prefer to have one boss too. Otherwise, there's always somewhere to go to to get out when there's when it's time to have an excuse, you know what I mean? Or have a second opinion or whatever. As opposed to you can have those opinions, no problem, but you've got to have them with the, with the boss. So then you can fight it out or work it out and come to a better conclusion. And I think that's the way to go. Speaking of um, speaking of the two codes, you've got a good relationship with Trent Robinson. You're an advisor to the Roosters. You coached Lebanon to a World Cup. What is it about rugby league you like coaching? I don't know. I suppose because I was, you know, from that background when I was younger. You know, the playing league. I played Roosters in the ball, um, the junior grades, and went to a league school. 
So you've sort of got that in you from the start. And, you know, you grow up, which we all did, you know, with the, the league culture that's here as well, because we all grew up playing both games and everyone's, you know, a fan of both and players are crossing over. You've all got friends playing both games. And, but I like the, the concept of how the game's played there and how it's moved on. Like, it's moved on to be quite a good game around tactics around intensity it's a great game for fans to watch so it's a it's there's a lot happening on the ball as well there's a lot of um movement i think i think it's 60 something minutes of ball in play time in a game they've tweaked the rules so they're just sort of about right now i think and uh and it's different you know the challenge of something different like uh, going in the first time i ever well, robbo let me speak to the guys at roosters in a meeting i was like bloody petrified you know what i mean because it's a new, it's something different. And then with Lebanon, you're coaching against New Zealand and Australia. And it was a great experience, the Rugby League World Cup, for me personally, I think, and for the boys, not just from a footy point of view, but also from a heritage point of view, like going through that, that experience and um, getting to coach against, like I said, Kiwis and then Australia as well. well were can I, great can I ask on that? Because I remember you got Trent Robinson in, I think it was the 2014 Spring Tour. That's right. You yeah. first came on board with the Wallabies. And it's always great to hear an outside voice from a different code. And you spoke about not taking a breath and having that mind, mm. the Roosters not having that mindset, that mentality around always being present, staying in the moment. So if you flip the script, you're talking to the Roosters, was, did you get to share any type of insight into the themes or the, the identity piece yeah, and the definitely. mentalities that you've built over your career with your players? Yeah, definitely. I've, Robbo asked me to go and speak to the team a couple of times, you know, different moments, you know, before some of the, you know, some of the derby games with South um, and also in there, you know, sharing some ideas around, you know, um, yeah, team identity in particular and how you make that better. They've got very strong you know, team identity inside of the club. And that's made a lot by how the players interact with the coach's vision. You know, I think it's a, it's, it's a joint venture, all that stuff. So I, I have, and it's, it's good for me because I get that feedback, you know. Um, Kingy, Matt King came down like when that week in the World Cup when we coached a quarterfinal and then we had the England game on the, the quarterfinal was on the Friday, England game was on the Sunday for, against Argentina, with Argentina. And he came down, and I don't think he's ever been to a rugby test, so he came into dressing sheds and then sat up in the box and everything, and he was like, couldn't believe it, you know. I was just blown away by the, the event and, you know, what was going on there, and he really enjoyed it. So there's so much, you, I'm not just saying it from a, there's so much crossover. There's so many things that you get and you learn and you see and then you validate from your own prep you see it in there and that those things could be taken on and we do do a lot of things differently in preparation so it's been they've been and the timing that robo gave me that opportunity to come in post the world cup you know i wanted to do something i wanted to get into some things that were going to be difficult for me i even did the, the tv stuff you know which i would never have thought i would done you know like to put myself in a difficult situation and not I thought I'd sulked for enough, you know, you've got to sulk after you, you get dusted. So I sulked for a few months and then wanted to do things a little bit different to see if I could get a different perspective on things. And I think they've helped me those those things to become better coaching rugby, you know, and uh, helped me get, you know, take some steps forward in my rugby coaching as well. Tactically, you spoke about, obviously you've been involved, rugby league, high levels, rugby union, the highest levels. There's so much paper talk around 
league players that could, oh, they'd, they'd, they'd be so good at rugby union or a rugby player would be so good at rugby league. The games are very different. I imagine you've tactically been involved right in the middle of both codes. Mm -hmm. Is it as easy as that, switching between one sport to the other, or they are very different? No, I think for certain players who have a certain skill set, yeah, the changes are pretty simple. You know, you just need the good coaching from there. I think if you look at, um, you know, you say, you, if you look at a guy like Israel, for example, who made that, that cross code change easy, right? Then you go to a guy like Sam Burgess, for example, who was taken over by England. And it's, for me, that's the simplest exchange he could have made. You know, you see what his strengths are in rugby league and you say, right, mate, you just get on the side of the scrum, you just run hard, tackle yeah. hard, and if you can work out what to do in the ruts, good luck to you, right? Yeah. Because he's just such a beast in, in that mode. Why would you try to throw him in the centres and make him think about defence and get off this guy and go to the next guy and all that carry on instead of just letting him do one job and go hard. He saw how what Brad Thorne could do as a player when he's crossing over from code to code. Sonny Bill who's gone from code to code but even I know they're high profile players I feel like there's a lot of players there's a few players in our squad here Argentina who could easily cross into league game. Yeah, yes of course they'd need some preparation but they've got the skills in their given position whether they're forwards or backs you know what I mean. The, the tricky ones are halves, right, where the game's different, where I think obviously Gitz, a player like yourself, could have easily made that transition. I, you know, I have no doubt about that because you've got both sides of the ball as well. Defence for the halves is extremely important in league. And then a guy like, say, Luke Keary, when he was off at Souths, we had a good talk about him coming to, to rugby because he, he's a rugby kid originally. Oh, he went to Oak Hill, I'm pretty sure. And um, he was keen for it. I couldn't get anyone to take him. Super, I couldn't get a super really? rugby team to take him. Wow. Who, yeah. who now would you say, if you had to pick one leaguey, you could pick anyone in the NRL that would come into the Argentinian team, and oh. he's not going to take <laughs> over their spot, so that Argentinian player's safe, but who would be the one player? Who? Well, there's a lot of them. There's a lot of them. Just give me one. Okay. You, uh, I, think, I, I think Nico Hines would be a great rugby union player. Mm like as a, as a ball player. So I, obviously Tedesco, those, those guys are playing those outside back positions. They kill it in rugby. Like Teddy's got fast feet. He'd broken play, he'd be devastating, you know what I mean, in, in those positions. I like, but I feel like a guy like Hines has got, he's got the size to play, he's got a kicking game, he's got a running threat and he's a good ball distributor. So, to play in the halves in rugby, which would be probably the most trickiest of transitions to go from league half to union half or vice versa. I feel like he's the, he's a guy, Mitchell Moses, definitely. Having coached him now, I feel could easily make the, the switch into rugby. He's got um, a huge kicking game, right? And he's a great defender as well, as well as being an excellent ball player and a ball runner. You know that triple threats there. Then from forwards, there's a, there's heaps of guys, but I think that uh, that those guys from there and from rugby going back the other way. Mm, uh, if I look at the guy, like Samu could do it easy. Well, obviously Marika's already done it, so that's that's not an issue there. Um, yeah, I, I think there's some forwards that could also make the switch if they were given the the right prep. But I think they're the they're the easy ones, guys like Karevi, because they're powerful runners. You know, they can they can 
they've offload and they've got footwork. They could we can do it easy. Yeah. All right, we've got to start to wind up after this World Cup. What's next for Michael Checker? Well, that is the abyss. I don't know. Yeah. You know you've always I, got. You're a planner. You've got some. You've no, got some sort of irons in, in the fire. The opposite. Yeah. In really? fact, the opposite. I have never had. Well, I don't have a manager, number one, and I have never had a contract or a deal set Once. while Until I'm still doing yeah. something else. I feel like, and I've had lots of chances next year because a lot of clubs in you, you know, that they want experienced coaches more probably at this stage. But I feel like I need to give everything I've got to this for the World Cup and show the, these, you know, my guys that I'm fully committed. I'm not thinking about anything else, you know, I'm not. Yeah, I know my wife and four kids might be a little worried about that. They don't know what they're doing next, but that's part of the the joy about you know being in this you know situation that you can make that full commitment to something, and then afterwards you take a deep breath and you know you go where the wind blows, or you see what see what you feel like doing next. You know what I what I'll feel like doing because what I might want to do now might be totally different to what I want to do after the World Cup. So. No, I'm not a. I'm a, definitely a planner when it comes to organisation, but around my own sort of direction, I feel that how I perform will then take me to whatever I'm going to do next, and I like it that way. Well, we appreciate your time and yeah. uh, all the best at the Thanks, World Cup. Boys. Thanks, boys. Thanks, Jack. Appreciate it. Appreciate Thanks, it, mate. mate. Good luck, guys. I'm fucking freezing. <laughs> <laughs> my toes. My toes. My hands. Very, very good. Like. Honestly, yeah. uh, he was open, gave us a world exclusive <laughs> on the kidnapping. Um, yeah, let's see. let's see how that goes. In all honesty, any other business in the world, let's say I own a bakery, right? And I'm not happy <laughs> with how my employees are going down at Baker's Delight. And I go, you know what? I'm going to get somebody from Special Forces in. <laughs> and we're going to kidnap them. We're going to put a gun to their head just to... <laughs> To see whether they're going to release my recipes. Why do you get away with it in sport? Why can he do that and you're all having a laugh about it? Uh, uh, well, I don't know. I guess you don't question it because you can get dropped. <laughs> and I, I think the other thing as well, people, like you just don't talk about it. Like what happens in that inner sanctum stays in there. Um, and it's, you know, what Czech spoke to as well. It's those shared experiences that bring you together. And, and Gitz and I came in late uh, from France. So we kind of turned up pretty much at the, the camp where... Um, the unveiling of the situation and the kidnapping and that had gone down. But for myself and Gitz to sit in that team room and then watch all the players realise that they weren't the only one because they were told not to speak. But you could also see the respect that everyone had for the environment and the team and the coach not to, t not to talk to each other about, mate, did you get kidnapped? Because I just got, you know, like whatever it might have been. But everyone just kept it to themselves. Now, and So you got kidnapped, but you didn't remember it do you think <laughs> he suppressed it that's you, trauma you yeah, blocked it out clearly very traumatic I've, I've blocked yeah i put it down deep somewhere and i just can't i can't bring it back up was it was it like a panel van rolling up blokes in hoods throw you in the back i think it was for some players <laughs> not for me i think i was actually invited to go into a room and get interviewed i remember you know staring at a camera a guy behind the camera asking the questions and i wasn't allowed to look back i remember those strict instructions and and like Checker said, he was actually behind. Um, but I can't really recall exactly the questions, what the questions were. But um, yeah, I didn't experience the kidnapping. But like Check said, um, you know, those shared experiences all, I mean, to you touched on the identity piece, you touched on themes and like creating mindsets, right? But it's all for, all for buying, you know? And it's like, so when you're creating these shared experiences, you know, we, we talk about all the experiences that we, I guess, encountered over a career. 
and it, and it kind of keeps us connected in mm. a way. And that's what, I mean, Czech is so good at, you know, creating these shared experiences I, for buying. The only thing with the shared experience thing is that you're all sitting on your own in a room and then you're all told <laughs> not to talk to anybody <laughs> about it. So not overly shared. Well, well in, the end, in the end. In the end. Five yeah. years. Now, Gitz, you, you're, a, you're a wonderful straight shooter on this podcast is what I've noticed. Mm. At any point when you came into the team and found out everybody was kidnapped, did you stop and say, what the fuck is going on here? No, I loved it. I thought <laughs> I was actually a bit upset that I didn't get kidnapped. Yeah. I love that type of treatment. Um, I just, I don't know. The more you think about it, I think the more respect I have for Czech to think outside the box. Um, he was also testing, you know, who he could trust. Um, because in a World Cup, there's the smallest things that can derail you when you're away um, from home. And also we were worried about the English press you know, potentially being able to get into phones or whatever else. So he was just tr trying to tick off anything uh, that could possibly derail us in that World Cup. But no, unfortunately, I didn't get tied up or... Uh, <laughs> oh, you, you want to get tied up, do you, Gwen? <laughs> well, I don't know. It might be nice to experience something. A little kink. That's a little kink. World yeah. exclusive. Yeah, well, <laughs> Two world yeah. exclusives in the one show. Uh, that's amazing. Now, you, you speak about moments on a campaign that can derail... Um, mm. So the other thing that was brought up, which was kind of danced around and wasn't, you didn't go into any great detail, was yeah. you were being investigated by Scotland Yard. Yeah, there's a big reason why I danced around a lot of the detail. No, so what it was, was there's a ticketing issue. Um, and it's all alleged, obviously. Of course, of course. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, basically had a, a couple of photos with a mate of mine uh, after a game and I had my all-access pass around my neck. And all, I'd, I'd, I'd wear that sort of through all the, the world media afterwards because there's like a media zone that you have to go through. Anyway, after I think maybe the second pool game, um, someone turns up to training or the, like a, a few people turn up to training in suits and uh, not often on the side of a, a training ground, there's people in suits. And then afterwards, I got uh, tapped on the shoulder and asked to, to go into a room with the team manager and the couple of detectives and... Uh, so what had happened was my my pass got duplicated six times, and it was all access. And so they these got these guys were getting more brazen throughout the, the pool stages because those games pretty much five or six days of the week. But they'd start in the outer and they'd go down to the second tier, down in the front row. I think they were on the field at captains' runs, and they just got a little bit carried away with the access that they were able to um, to, to seek. And it stopped when they were caught. Um, in the royal box when uh, the late um, Majesty Queen Elizabeth was in the in the box, and so clearly that's a pretty significant security breach, and that's why the Scotland Yard became involved. And so, from the second pool stage to the semi-final, I was having to go, keep going in and have these interviews, and they'd slide across the evidence bag of the passes, and because basically once they got caught, they'd scan it, and it was like Drew Mitchell, Drew Mitchell, Drew Mitchell on all their passes because it was my my uh, barcode. And they're like, well, that can't happen because Drew Mitchell's out there on the field. Yeah, right. Um, and so then because it was obviously a royal breach, sorry, Tins, if you're listening to this, um, uh, it, it uh, engaged with the Scotland Yard. And so um, like they took phones and everything to kind of see that it, I didn't sort of pass anything on. Uh, I obviously had to sign a statement, but um, pretty, pretty, pretty trying times throughout a World Cup. It was, it was fine because I knew I, I didn't do anything wrong. So, but it also meant that the, when I'd go out to play the games, that was actually a relief for me. It was the least amount of pressure I was under compared to what was going on through the week because, you know, like who knows what, what could have happened if, I don't know. I mean, do you they, just don't know. Is it treason? What is it? 
I'm, I'm not sure what it do would be. Do they still behead people in the UK for that <laughs> yeah, stuff? Yeah, I don't or? know. But then I, I had to sign my statement. And then, uh, then pretty much the week of the semi-final, they said, okay, well, there's nothing to see here. You're, you're good. But um, yeah, it was pretty wow. trying times. But, but then going back to the checker <laughs> thing, I had to go up to check and to say, uh, like he asked me, he said, mate, you got anything to do with it? And I was like, well, no, I don't. I mean, other than the fact that it's my barcode, but no, I don't. And because uh, he said, you're going home otherwise. And my parents were over there like, you know, like it was all... Pretty, pretty testing times. <laughs> did they get to the bottom of it? I mean, like, how did they do it? Well, I think just the, I don't know, the cameras I were using, they were able to sort of zoom in and pick up on it and they just duplicated it and um, and then, yeah, and then just kept getting more brazen throughout the course of the World Cup. Yeah. I, I think they... Where, um, where are your mates now? Where are they? Well, I'm not sure where in the world they are, but uh, I think they got six months suspended jail sentences and, yeah, yeah it was like pretty serious stuff. Wow, well, <laughs> not sure where to go from there. <laughs> Jesus, I, don't, I, I probably won't be allowed back in the UK. No, I'm fine because I, I got like I didn't have anything to do with it. So, well, other than the fact that it was my barco, but I didn't give it to him. <laughs> Jesus <laughs> Christ, the poor Queen as well. She thought she was meeting Drew Mitchell <laughs> six times. <laughs> yeah, six times. Oh, <laughs> See, that, that was the other thing as well. Speaking of checks point, there was always going to be there could have been anything that derails a campaign. And check, you know, like like he mentioned there. Like he would have always put team first. So if it meant cutting me, then that was the easy decision for him. But luckily he kind of, he held off until he realized that I didn't have the involvement that I was, it was alleged. And, um, and then I stayed through the, the course of the World Cup. I was going to say, she would have loved to have caught up with you again. Oh, was yeah. He? Yeah. I mean, have you met last, him before? Yeah, yeah, he has. And the last time they caught up was 2008 or 2009, yeah, maybe, Windsor yeah. Castle. What were you doing? Oh, having a drink together. Meet and greet. <laughs> They had a drink together. Well, I saw the Queen put her drink down on a cabinet and I went up and finished it. <laughs> but um, you put you your it? lip exactly where you saw her lipstick was, so it felt like you were kissing it. Is yeah. that true? So I know I didn't want to be the only one to get in trouble, so I passed the glass to Gitz as well. So he would have a little swig and then I wanted to finish it because a few of the few of the boys had a few swigs. Yeah. And what was it? Was, what size um, of gin and tonic was this? No, so what it was no, so I had my empty glass, I'd finished an orange juice and there was this butler coming through with one on the tray. And I went to put my empty glass on. He goes, oh, excuse me, sir, this is Her Majesty's drink. And I was like, oh, I said, what? Because it's two o'clock in the afternoon or something. And I said, what is it? Just like soda water or something? Because it's clear of color. And he goes, no, sir, it's a martini. I said, what? A half gin? Like half nip? And he goes, no, straight gin with a dash of vermouth. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, already I'm thinking this guy's oversharing. Like, and brilliant. so I watch him walk it over to the queen and she grabs it off the, uh, the, the little tray and then has a little sip, doesn't batter an eyelid. And I was like, oh, go Lizzie, like, how oh, good. And so I just, I just locked on. I just kept watching the queen. And then, and then someone came in to interrupt and take her into another room to get some like photos for some formalities and stuff. And so she put a glass on, on the cabinet and I just went, Gitz, come run a blocker here. And so I grabbed it and I saw the lipstick, had a sip. And then I didn't want to be the only one to get in trouble. So I gave some to Gitz. Then we gave, I think a little sip to a couple of the other boys. And then I wanted to finish it you know, get the backwash and all that. And then I, so those days I had Facebook and my status that day was uh, today I basically kissed the queen. <laughs> I, I genuinely don't know where to go from you stealing the queen's drink. Um, yeah, is, so, is that the most famous person's drink that you've stolen? Yeah, I'd say so. Are there other famous people's <laughs> drinks that you've stolen? I no, no, I don't think so. I'm not much of a drink stealer. Uh, no, no. That's going somewhere. Yeah. Well, I just remember the time English player Denny Cipriani. Remember, he got in trouble for stealing the bottle over the bar. Yes. So I was 
so I got a phone call from the team manager of the Waratahs at the time saying, mate, turn on Channel 10 News right now. I, I looked at it, I turned it on. And they had one of those like, you know, inside a nightclub where they, they highlight the player, the, the person that's, um, you know, like being doing the bit, wrong thing. Doing yeah. the wrong thing. And they said, is that you standing next to him? I said, yeah, it is. And so basically, Sips spoke to me. And then after our little conversation, I don't have any re recollection of what that conversation was. But after we'd spoken, he then lent over and grabbed a bottle. So you said to him, ah, oh, mate, just grab a bottle. <laughs> That's how it works out I, like, I don't want to get in trouble. You do it. Um, and, and then Webby's, uh, Chris Webb, the team manager at the time, he's like, no, it's not you, is it? I said, mate, well, what do you want me to say? Because it is. Yeah. Um, but uh, it, it didn't come out that I was, I was there. But uh, I mean, Sips has spoken about it before, but uh, I, still, uh, I still owe you one, mate. <laughs> This is this is going to be a great podcast as these weeks go on. Just oh, getting into. I'm, I must be. I'm such an asshole, aren't I? Yeah. Is he an asshole, sweet? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's a big asshole. I mean, I've known him for a long time. I've lived with him. I haven't lived with him. I mean, he he basically married us. Like, I mean, the guy's a genuine asshole. <laughs> he even karate chopped some bloke on a, oh, a seven four seven way back from South Africa. Uh, tell that was a real. Was asshole he hijacking? Effort. What was that? He wasn't. Yeah, he wasn't stealing. Wait, drinks. I don't think we want to give all our stories. Mm. Let's let's wait till yeah. after the six apps because otherwise you're going to be out of stories, Drew. <laughs> yeah, no. no, we won't. He's got plenty. <laughs> well, okay, we can save the throat chop on the seven four seven for another pod. Wait, it was mistaken identity. You thought he was taking the plane down? No, I thought he was a teammate. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Let's let's touch on it, Drew. No, no, no. Okay, we'll save the the karate job on a plane for another time. Now, lots of big rugby games happening this weekend. Czech, as you said, was in a very good mood. They take on the box. Yeah. Um, at one o five a.m. Eastern Standard Time, they're uh, they're in Joburg. Do you give uh, Los Pumas any any hope here, boys? Yeah, I do. Oh, I thought they were quite impressive. I know. Um, the way that they're playing, a bit more ball in hand. Uh, I know that Czech sort of, you know, said they could have been better about where they're playing at certain times, but they've got a lot of footy in them and they're big bodies. They'll match the, the physicality of the Springboks. And yeah, I mean, there's, they seem to be on, uh, you know, full of confidence and on a bit of a run, Argentina. So I, I think they'll, uh, they'll definitely push the, the Springboks. Yeah, absolutely. I also, uh, sorry, sweet, cut you off. I caught up with um, Juan Fernandez Lobe after we interviewed Czech. Um, up at the Crown Plaza, and all their French players that were in the top league finals were rested. They had to mandatory take three weeks, and they're now available. So I think they'll be at full strength. Um, a lot of confidence after the Wallaby win, so I think they've got a huge chance. I agree with Drew. I think they've got a really good chance. Uh, like Czech touched on uh, during the interview, you know, they're, they're trying to play more of a possession game, um, and they're playing with, you know, playing good football with ball in hand. And I think they've started to really grow that, the attack shape. Um, but also they're making really good decisions around how they're exiting. So their kicking game's um, been quite accurate and clinical. And I think that's very important going to, you know, Joburg and playing the Springboks. Now, there's that big game, but there's an even bigger game mm. on down in Melbourne at the MCG. Um, the first blood is low. Wallabies taking on the All Blacks. Um, we obviously played in Melbourne last year, but it was uh, at Marvel. Yeah. Um, and we all remember what happened at the end of that game. Yeah. Do... <laughs> Surely that bloke's not refereeing again, is he? No. Raynal? Yeah, Raynal hasn't. Yeah. He, he did the Japan-Samoa um, Samoa game on the weekend. Um, let's start with, can the Aussies win? And what will you blokes be getting up to down in Melbourne? Good question. Um, well, I'm going to the game, one. Um, to what I'm doing either side of the game, 
yet to be decided, but I'll let you Ooh. know. We can talk about that maybe on the next pod. <laughs> There'll yeah. be plenty of pod tent coming from Melbourne, <laughs> let me tell you. But yes, we can win. And uh, we've got a good record at the MCG. Do a we? A very good record. Yeah. I think we've won the last... 2007. 20-15 win. The Wallabies went and shitted in with a 20-15 win. And the first Aussie try scorer swooped D-O-double-G and gets converted it to a late winner with uh, Scott Staniforth. So yeah, right. we That's can win down there. Yeah. Right. I was dropped that game, so... I had a good seat. Oh, yes, that's what it says next. <laughs> who did you, you get dropped for? Uh, I don't know. I don't know who I... Every time I went to Melbourne, I kept getting dropped. I don't know what it was. Then who the did ones, you get dropped for? Who did you get dropped for? Well, I mean, you? Yep. Oh. <laughs> um, yeah, right. Sorry, <laughs> and, then, uh, and, and then the one time they did play me in Melbourne, I, I got two yellows and a red card against your back. So maybe they were onto something. Do you think you'll get red carded down in Melbourne this weekend? <laughs> uh, hopefully not. <laughs> There's a chance. There's a very if Ray Nails are the ref, there's a chance. Now, Gitz, you, I want to hear technically why the Aussies can beat the All Blacks. Yes. Right. Um, okay. Well, I don't know their side. I don't know who they picked. Um, I think technically, I think defence is going to be a big one just because the All Blacks at the moment, they've got so many threats uh, either side of the ruck. You know, they've got... Um, you know, they're 10, 12, 15, 9. I think we touched on it last week. All their ability to ball play um, and then pick up any weaknesses or short sides where they feel they've got an advantage. So defensively, we're going to need to improve. But given the, you know, if the possession was 50-50, I think we've shown our intent to play with the ball. Um, our ability to, to break one-on-one -on -one tackles, I think we're going to have some strong ball carriers. Just our decision-making around offloading, I mean, Kubi touched on it last week, those little pops or whatever those passes were. It seemed like we we're in a rush to score points. So if we can just hold on to that possession, play with a little bit more patience, uh, and obviously defensively we're going to need to be a bit better. But we've definitely got the team uh, and the strategy, I think, to to win this game. See that? Hear that? Yeah, I know. Oh, my oh, He like, needs to get into he's coaching. He's got such a rugby brain, that bloke. Yeah. I mean, I just love hearing from Gitz, don't you? Oh, no, we need to hear from you, Swoop. No, <laughs> mate. Like when you start talking about attack yeah. and pop passes and, you know, 50-50s. And the opportunities down the, short sides. Mate. That's eyes up footy. Mate. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Do you want to get that's into... on the weekend. We showed a bit of that on the weekend. Well, two of us. Two of us scored, one didn't. Gitz was the first try scorer actually, on the weekend. Mate. No market for it, though. You still got it. I reckon... Um, I reckon there's still a chance. Actually, you know what? You say you still got it. I promise you, the head of a professional rugby team somewhere in the world called Gitz and said, would you play for us next year? World exclusive number three, Gitz. Give it to us. Can you give us the team? <laughs> uh, I, I'm not as keen on this exclusive. <laughs> do, you want, do you want me to speak on your behalf? No, I never want you to speak on my behalf. <laughs> <laughs> that would, that's, mate, very exciting. But Did either of you blokes get a call from her? I had a, I had a missed call from a random number. <laughs> it could have been him. I, I even text back saying, who's this? And got no reply. Swoop? No. No, no unfortunately not. Um, now, there was a wonderful moment, uh, Eddie Jones, whose press conferences are always filled with great moments. Mm. Um, and there's, there's one I want to roll in now if we can. Just listen to this. It's kind of set up perfectly, Eddie, isn't it? Like, you know, England and the Ashes, the 2-0 down, they could level it up to make it 2-all. 
you kind of draw inspiration from that and you're going to the MCG, no better place to make a statement in the world. I don't get any inspiration from English cricket. <laughs> <laughs> Straight from the hip. <laughs> it's, it's got to be one of the worst questions ever asked in a press conference. Oh. And he was an Aussie. What a Derek. Yeah. Who is that? It's Christy Doran. <laughs> You're right. Well, I, I just know his voice. Oh, was my it really? God. Yeah. Confirmed. Well, oh. that was his voice. Oh, Christy. Man. Jesus Christ. No, I, mean, I think he was just, I don't know what he was trying to get out of, out of Eddie there. But I, I, the one thing he did get was a good grab for us. Oh, a million percent. Thanks, Chris. Thank you, Chris. Good man. <laughs> uh, now, guys, this show has exploded. I keep saying that. Um, and lots of listens, lots of views, lots of follows. There's, I, I was looking it up, right? There's actually, there's 500 million rugby union fans in the world. Is there? Yeah, 500 million. We're, at the moment, we're getting about 35,000. Okay. So I figured if we can get up somewhere around 400 million, <laughs> there's probably some cheddar made then, do you oh, reckon? I reckon. So how do we get to four hundred million? <laughs> Gets this this time, you know. You got to build these things. Um, right. So what, I want to know more about the roads. How are the sales? Have we heard anything from Harvey Norman there? They've asked us to stop plugging them because they're selling too <laughs> many, and the shop that makes them can't keep up with it. Yeah, they're getting so, blisters on, on their fingers. <laughs> they want us to push the coffee tables this week, apparently. <laughs> so, the Mai Tai tables. <laughs> the Mai Tai tables. So um, wonderful Mai Tai tables. Get into them. Um, no, here's what I'm thinking. Let's start expanding. There's lots of union going on all around the world. If we start touching on different teams from different countries, mm. all of a sudden, you know, boom, Georgia, they want to listen to Gibra. <laughs> so uh, it's called the World Union News, this new little segment. Okay. And I hope, did you guys watch all the... <laughs> Swoop all the rugby from the weekend, <laughs> all the internationals. Um, yeah, I caught some highlights. Um, Fiji won, didn't they? Yeah, they did. Well yep. done, mate. Uh, so, Samoa. Now I know, Samoa I know, won. Gits watched it because I sent a little note on the WhatsApp and said, "Hey guys, can you can you watch these games?" And Gits was the only one that wrote, "Yeah, I'll watch it." And he did it. Did you? Either of you do yeah, anything? Yeah. I'm all I'm all across that. Sort okay. Of stuff. Samoa defeated Japan, yep. um, twenty four to twenty two. That was a bit of an upset. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I just think the uh, Samoa, uh, Tonga—they're going to trouble some teams at the World Cup. Like they're going to be a—they're going to be a problem. Uh, some good players um, playing for for Samoa. Uje Satini gets young Uje that used to be at the Espoirs when we were at Toulon. He's really—he's yeah. you know, really come on. He's playing for La Rochelle in the European Champions Final. He's now playing for Samoa. Like just to see sort of some of those guys go through and. and uh, make a mark in the international scene is fantastic. Well, they've changed the eligible, eligibility rules, mm. um, which surely will... Give me one second, Kenyas. You are? I, need a... I can't piss on the floor here. Okay. Gits is going for a piss. Gits has gone for a yeah, piss. All right, here's this segment we're going to do. It's called Tinkle Talks. And right. every time Gits goes, goes for, for a, a tinkle. piss, then you guys have got to tell something juicy about Gits. So who wants to jump in quick? Tell a quick story. Uh, once I took him home after he was drinking and... Myself and his wife had to change his pants because he's pissed himself. <laughs> That's pretty good. And, you and I've got have, photo evidence of it. And you may have noticed that there was no twinkle time. What's it called? Tinkle talks. Tinkle talks. No, tinkle La talk time. Tinkle talk time. Tinkle, tinkle talk time. When he was in the Mai Tai bar. Yeah. So do the math. Thanks for that, fellas. Oh, no worries. Gets, anyway, uh, mate, we were getting deep into the eligibility changes um yeah lovely i love this conversation <laughs> what, what do you <laughs> so do we. gets what do you make of it mate 
Well, I think that if, um, you know, your tier one nations have an opportunity to choose a player and they don't select them, why can't they go back to, you know, their, their country of birth or where their parents are from or, you know, because these tier one nations had the opportunity to choose them. They didn't want them. So now let these guys go back and strengthen other nations. It's just going to make the World Cup more competitive. I I think this is one space that, uh, and also it means that these coaches, if they don't want to select a player, but they don't want him playing for someone else, maybe they will then choose that player so he can't go play for Fiji, Tonga or Samoa or, or whoever. Yeah, I just think, I really like the way that I think the rugby league do it. Um, it just strengthens the World Cup, I, I think. Um, I would like to see them, if they're not chosen, that they can go back and play for, for another nation, if they've obviously got the passport and they, they fit the criteria, of course. So Christian Leliafano yep. uh, played for Samoa and he made a huge difference mm. for them, um, which I guess now these pool matches where normally you would look at, you know, those sort of smaller Pacific nations not not putting up a massive fight against these big countries, they will now start to do that, right? Yeah, I mean, to have someone like uh, Christian to go back with all the experience that he's got and, uh, you know, he's, he's been at World Cups, he's played uh, all around the world and then to go back and and now represent uh, Samoa in the World Cup will be huge for him and, and his family, but also uh, for the players that are playing alongside him. And he can just bring sort of a different level of um, insight and, and, and experience to that team, which is only going to help them. And obviously Israel Folau going and playing for Tonga. Yeah, there's a number of them. Like uh, Izzy, there's uh, Piatau, uh, I think George Mawala. Yep, Fafita. Afasipa. Yeah, Afasipa. Yeah, a big Ben Tama Funa. Like there's a, there's, yeah. like they're a yeah. good side. They, they're going to be a problem. It just allows more quality players to play quality rugby. I, I just think though with the eligibility, you, I think you should only be able to change once. Like, I don't think you've got to be able, you can bounce back and forth. Like, you know, which they're not doing now, but like the rugby league turns into a bit of a Mickey Mouse World Cup because if you've visited Italy, you can play for them or, you know, like it seems that way. I, I think if you if you play for, say for example, let's use Christian as an example, he played for the Wallabies for a period of time, was no longer being selected, then he can go to play uh, for Samoa. I think that's great, but then not be able to then bounce back the other way as well. Like, you know, like after you make that one change, that's it. You think that's but okay? I think, uh, can you switch straight away? How long do you have to wait now? I think it's yeah, three years since you. Yeah, I think played. that's stupid. If you if you made the decision, okay, I'm done in Australia, Christian. Now, you know whether he he goes to Japan or whatever happens, he then can switch to Samoa maybe that next year. But then, I, no, as soon as I've made this choice, like you said, you can you can't play for Australia again. Yeah, you see, I, I disagree. I think you should be able to switch back and forth. I think if no. you're having a good first half for Samoa oh. and the Wallabies go. <laughs> Our fly half's not doing any well. Boom. Switch. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty dumb. Hey, um, that's why I'm here. Uh, hey, now, Gits, this is for you, mate. That very first episode I asked in the next 10 years that we're all going to be working together, which uh, in our schedule most excites you? You said the British and Irish Lions coming to Australia and. 2025 and mate they have released the schedule have you seen it oh i haven't no how have i missed this mate <laughs> let me let me talk you through this i hope you're sitting down um 28th of june versus the western force uh 2nd of july versus the queensland reds 5th of july versus the waratahs 9th of july against the brumbies now get this one 12th of july the invitational australia and new zealand 15, which is going back to this old Anzac mm. 
theory, which the last, I think they've only ever done it once before, which was in 1989. It was uh, played at Ballymore, 19 to 15, the Lions won. Um, some amazing players were selected. Obviously, the test players would be out of that selection criteria, would they? Like the Aussie test players? Yeah. I don't think any of the uh, match day 23 would be involved in that invitational game. It might be some of the players in the extended squad that wouldn't play that first test. But I, I, look, I think it's a great concept. And it'll be, I think this is a stepping stone to build on this moving forward in, in, in future seasons where you could get both top line um, players from, from both Australia and New Zealand. But look, it'll be an invitational team in this, in this instance. It won't be the top line Wallaby players. And I'm not too sure whether the All Blacks schedule is around that time of the year either. But I think it's a great start to then start to build on this, this sort of Anzac invitational team. Uh, then we've got uh, first test at Brisbane, which will be exciting. Then they've got the Melbourne Rebels and the second test at the MCG. And then the third test at Sydney. Um, I, if I'm just doing this right, Australia will win nine out of nine there. <laughs> so shit it in. We will shit it in. Shit it in. Um, and the British and Irish Lions will go home crying. Uh, <laughs> now we are we're coming to the close of the show, as you uh, like, as you guys know. I know we've had a lot of fun this morning. Gits, you look freezing, um, yeah. but we we are coming to the close. As you guys know, I like to finish the show with a little quiz. Oh yeah, I love and each quiz. one has a little theme. Uh, obviously, amazing interview you did with Michael Checker. So today's theme is it's the check quiz. Oh, mm. Is it about kidnapping? <laughs> no, but it's all to do with checks. You ready for this, Gitz? Yes, let's go. All right, I'm ready. Oh, Gitz has got the shits. I think he's cold. Um, <laughs> no, no, my daughter came over, so I was a bit distracted. Oh, and also, happy birthday to Winter. It's her birthday today. Oh, happy birthday! Yes, it is her birthday. So I've just put her in a cage while I can dial in here for now. <laughs> to spend your birthday i'm assuming you put some balloons or something on the cage that's great um all right you know it works i'll go around give me a response and i'll try and keep score here's the first question according to the guinness book of world records what is the largest real money check ever written and cashed is it a two billion four hundred and seventy four million six hundred and sixty five thousand pounds b twenty billion two hundred and thirty six million pounds or c one billion three hundred million and fifty Eight seven hundred and twenty thousand pounds, A, B, or C. So basically, two billion, twenty billion, or one billion. I'm gonna go with the most realistic, one billion. Oh, that's where I was going. Where yeah? I'll go A just to be. A two billion, and you gets twenty billion. You usually go over the top. Twenty billion. The answer is A, two billion four hundred and seventy-four million. Um, which I'm, I'm fucking fantastic at your trivia, mate. You are very yeah. good. People are going to start asking questions. Um, and apparently that was paid to a Mr. Matthew Gitto to go and play for the Western Force. Gitto, am I reading that right? Gitto. Yeah, he's spot on. <laughs> Except he lost the check. <laughs> um, number two, what is the fastest checkmate in chess history measured in moves? Is it A, eight moves, B, four moves, C, 12 moves, or D, one move? Was it eight? Eight, four, twelve, or one. Gits? It can't be one. Um, four? Four, yes. Yeah, I was going to go four. Watch the Queen's Gambit. Good show. Great. I'm going to go eight. Eight? It feels like it's too many. Yeah, well, he's gone four. He's gone eight. I wanted to go four, but I'll go one. Have you ever played chess? Have you ever played chess? He moves a pawn and thinks that's enough. Checkmate. Uh, no, mate. Uh, 
Uh, the answer is four. Nice. Hey nice work. Just so, got in there early. Hey one, one. And I think you should be minus one for that. Yeah. One, I'll one, take one. <laughs> what? Ouch. What notable Australian is a relative to Michael Checker? Is it A, Salim Mahaja? B, Adam Dewey? C, Firas Darani? Or D, Penny Wong? I want to get in early. I'm going to go B, Dewey. Yeah, I'm going Dewey as Dewey. well. Dewey, world's worst kept secret. It is B, Adam Dewey. We've got two, two, and one. What is the most common misspelled word corrected by spell check in Google searches? A, accommodate. B, consensus. C, acquire. D, massage. I know this because I'm always getting this wrong. Massage. (laughs) (laughs) I actually think from my own experience, it's fuck because it always goes to duck. I hate that. What are you typing in (laughs) to Google? Um, Jeez, you're... It doesn't happen to everyone else. I'm not typing that into Google. Like, are you ducking kidding me? I'm like, oh. Oh, yeah, when you, yeah, you that's know? true. Yeah, um, absolutely. I'm going to go acquire. Oh, very good. A, uh, have you got it there, Gits? What do you want to go? Uh, um, Accommodate, consensus, acquire, or massage? With, uh, with, with Drew's answer. I'm going to go uh, accommodate. There you go. Ding, ding, ding. Giddy. Gets out to a lead. Yeah. Three, two, one. Ew. Here we go. The last one. It's a double C's, double M's. Yeah. Oh, it's difficult to spell. What technological theory was first thought up in the Czech Republic? A, the wind turbine. B, the lithium battery. C, the robot. Or D, the double-ended makeup brush. <laughs> <laughs> the lithium battery. Yeah, I want to go lithium. Lithium battery, lithium battery. Gets. <laughs> Yeah, I want to say the makeup right, but I think it's wrong. Um, I'm going to go with the wind. The wind power. turbine. Uh, you're all wrong. It was the robot. Was it? Yes. Yeah, see what, the, the robot. dance move or? <laughs> uh, no, I believe like the robot, like a robot. Okay. Um, all right. Yes, very good, guys. All that's left to do is to say a massive thanks yeah. to the powers that be, the great Harvey Norman. Uh, massive thanks to them for their fantastic Caps support. Lock, thanks. Yes, shouting thanks. They have got more than rugs um, and coffee tables uh, for the very best experience. Get yourself down to the home of technology. TVs, computers, mobile phones, and uh, gaming and audio. That's down there at every Harvey Norman. Uh, Gentlemen, another cracking show. Thank you, guys. Thank Thank you you very much. Um, All right. Hey, thanks. We'll see you next week. Have fun in Melbourne. Look after yourselves. Don't don't get red carded, boys. (laughs) I know the three of you are down there. Just pod tent. Pod tent. Pod tent. All right. Bye, everybody. Zebra. Zebra. <laughs> <laughs>